Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. As you can see on the slide here, some rain has fallen on these plants and that rain helps to produce the crop. We'll get to that in just a minute because God's word truly does accomplish great things. But if we look at the book of Isaiah and we look at the beginning, we see that the prophet is speaking to the people of God and the surrounding nations of their ignorance, their lack of seeking God, their own sin, and the consequences of that. And if you would just let me read to you just a little bit from Isaiah. I know I've done this with you before, but I just think it bears repeating to see what kind of people God is dealing with in Isaiah's day. So if you listen to uh, the first part, it says, Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. So they're rebellious. The ox knows his master, the donkey his owner's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. So God is comparing his own people unfavorably with with a donkey and an ox. Kind of like dumb as a box of rocks kind of a thing. Okay? It gets worse. Then he goes on to say this. A sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children giving to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on Him. He goes on to compare them with Sodom and Gomorrah. Then he says this. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom Sodom, listen to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. And when he says that, he's not talking about people from those places. He's talking about his own people who are likened to those folks and the tragedy, the devastation that happened to them. That's chapter 1. We look on in chapter 13 and following. Not only has God got some words for his own people, but he's got words for Babylon, You go a little bit further, and he'll have words for, hang on a second, Assyria, the Philistines, the Moabites, those who live in Damascus, those who live in Cush or Egypt, in Egypt, and beyond. All of that, he's got warnings. All this bad stuff is going to happen. And then, and now, by the way, he said that this would come. Even in Deuteronomy, before God's people entered this promised land where they had been living for years, even before that, God said, this is what you're going to be like, and this is what's going to happen. Because of your sin, because you forsook me, because you walked away from me, you're going to end up in exile. Okay. What should happen when we blow it and we sin? We should end up in exile. But look at the end of this lesson that we have for today. It says this, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all of the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And shall make a name for the Lord. An everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. What's happening here? Just like what God describes in Genesis chapter 3 when he pronounces the curse on all the earth because of Adam and Eve's sin, you're going to work and you're going to produce thorns and thistles. Now he's reversing that. Good news. It's amazing the good news that we hear starting in Isaiah 40 and going all the way through this Isaiah 55. And all for the the sake of his name 
and his word. And for this, I just wish to share with you something from Psalm 138. Psalm 138 says this, verse 2. I will bow down towards your holy temple, the psalmist says, and will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. We'll get to that in just a minute. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. So those two things that God's exalted above all things are his name and his word. Where do you hear about that name on a regular, hopefully for you, a daily basis? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. What does God want for his name to be exalted? Where does our focus need to be? On him. On him. What was the problem with the Israelites? They forsook the Lord. Jeremiah 2.13. They forsook the Lord. It wasn't just their individual sins. It was their relationship with God and lack thereof. Think about your life. Is your life one of constantly being in communication with God? Is your life one of being daily dependent on Him? Is your life one of making much of the God who does these great things for you? I know that I oftentimes give those questions and and you don't respond, but you can respond. It's okay. Is that what your life is like? Are you that kind of a person, and I'm hoping because you are God's beloved children, baptized, brought into the kingdom of God, you belong to him and delight in his grace on a daily, moment-by-moment daily basis. My hope is that you say, yeah, that's me. Not perfect, but yes, I'm not one who simply neglects and rejects and forgets and rebels constantly. No, That's still a part of what I struggle with and you struggle with, but we're living that new way, right? Yeah, really awesome. Okay. So we've got this whole idea. So what we want to do with our lives, like what um, God is doing here, when his word is accomplishing its work, what we do is we make much of his name, hallowed be thy name, and much of his word, his word of promise. Okay? The problem I think that we get into once in a while is we get so curved in on ourselves, Luther's definition of sin, so curved in on ourselves, how well am I doing? What's going on? How well am I living this faith? Instead of saying, how great is our God? Look what he's done for me. How great is our God? Look what he's done for me. Look what his word has accomplished in my life. Look what he's done in me. That's the point today. But you know, the struggle is always, we like to be these people who, as I was told about at the seminary, are navel gazers. We just like to look inside. We just like to look at how am I doing? How well am I doing? How bad is life for me? What lies in the middle of the first part of Isaiah where he's just offering these words of condemnation for how they're forsaking him and what's going to be coming for them and that what we have here in Isaiah 55 verse 12 and 13, is what we have in Isaiah 53. Now, Isaiah 55, verse 11 says, So shall be my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in that thing for which I sent it. In John chapter 1, it says that 
that the Word was with God and the Word was God. That the Word there is talking about who? Jesus, Jesus right? Jesus. So Jesus is the Word who has accomplished everything that the Father sent Him to do. And let's listen to this just for a moment. Listen to the words of Isaiah 53. You hear these words every year. These words are what we hear during Holy Week. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was just a man. The God-man. But he humbled himself to show for just a, just a human, just a man. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? And it goes on to the end, it says this. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Remember, on either side. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So we hear that. And then we turn to our chapter for today, Isaiah 55. What's right before our words? Because the words just seem out of place. As the, snow, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without, making, without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. Okay, well, what's, what's the context there? What's going on? And I just want to share with you in verse, chapter 55, verse 1 and following, it says, Come, all you who are thirsty, listen, listen to me and eat what is good. So he's inviting him. Come, listen, partake, come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Later on it says, seek, seek the Lord, call upon him, forsake your wicked way, turn to the Lord who has mercy and who freely pardons. How can we do this? Well, it goes on in verse 9 to say this. I'm sorry, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Okay, Luke 16, 15 also describes this fairly well. Luke 16, 15 says this. He said to them, You are the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. His ways are not our ways. 
Our ways aren't his. So we have all of this. We have the awesome, the difficult things that God's saying at the beginning. Look out. You are running away from me doing horrible. Then Isaiah 53, look what I've done for you and my son. And then this invitation in 55 to come and and just receive and delight in and turn away from these old ways and, and live new ways. God's people are, are given an invitation. Yet receiving what isn't deserved is difficult. I've shared with you before the guitar story. Somebody knew us one night and they gave us a $750 guitar. That's just difficult. Okay? Has anyone ever tried to give you something that you just didn't want to receive? You've all had that experience, right? Pride just keeps you from receiving it. Okay? But think of it beyond that. Receiving good, when justice would mean receiving bad, is even more difficult. I shared this with you before, but a few years back, my van that I had at that time didn't work. And so one of my elders, Don, he, he let me use his... his uh, it's a Nissan 350Z or something like that. It's a nice convertible sports car. Okay? So that was really nice. And I was as careful as I could possibly be with that car. Okay? But let's say that I wasn't careful. And let's say instead that I just totally ran that through, ran through the gears, did everything else I could to, to, to just be hard on it and to have as much fun as I could possibly have at the expense of the car. And as I was driving through, I actually totaled it. And because, now I didn't do that, and it would be shame on me, but I didn't do that. Not even close. I was, took care of it. He's got it, still has it today, okay? But let's say that I did that, totally wrecked it, and then his response. Now, what should he do? He should be upset. That's what he should do. That's, isn't that right? He gives me something to use while I'm having a hard time with my vehicle. I should take great care of it. And so if I don't, what he should be is upset, and he should handle something. I need to pay for that. I need to do something to make it right. That's how it works, right? When someone hurts someone in your family, when someone steals from you, when someone does these things, you don't just go, well, that was no big deal. That's a big deal, right? A penalty has to be paid. Well, what if Don then, as he saw what I did, and I came up and I said, I, I just totally totaled your car. What if he said... Hey, Steve. Hey, Pastor. I'm buying you a brand new one just like it. And I care about you. I love you. How hard do you think that would be for me to receive that? That would be hard, wouldn't it? Do you know why it's so hard? Because we don't deserve it. And our sense of deserving comes from what we do, not from the giver. Isn't that true? That's why it's so hard to be receivers, because I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. You know, this really impacts then how we treat other people, right? You do me wrong. Well, you don't deserve it. I ain't forgiven you. I don't really care what you do. You have to make it up. Don't ever do it again. See, that's what happens. Because instead of living in the free grace that God so desperately wants to share, which he did through his son Jesus, who suffered and died, not because he did anything wrong, but for your sake. 
We skipped over conveniently Isaiah 54. Listen to what it says at the beginning. Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song. Shout for joy, you who are never in labor. Don't be afraid. You're not going to suffer shame. They would be free. And God would ultimately set them free because God would keep his word and he said he was going to bring a deliverer. His servant, Darius, the king of Persia, would come in, defeat the Babylons, and set them free. And they would come back and they would be shouting and clapping for joy and and just this awesome picture that Isaiah 55 verse 12 pictures for us. And so God also sends us a king to send us back from our captivity to sin. And that's King Jesus who sets us free so we can sing and shout and rejoice and receive his invitation and begin to live this new life. But it's hard for us because our God is not like us. Numbers 23 tells us that. God's not like us. He doesn't act like us. If I blow it with Marilyn, she has a hard time at first dealing with that. Maybe not. I don't know. She might be just outstanding. But she looks really normal to me, so I doubt it. (laughs) So she struggles. We struggle. It just doesn't make any sense. God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's totally focused on what he's accomplished for us in Jesus. Are you and I? What would it look like for us to live that new life where focus on Jesus, rejoicing and delighting in him moment by moment, day by day, overwhelmed by what he has accomplished for us? What would that look like? Would there be any changes in your life? You can talk, it's okay. They're not listening. Yes, right? There'll be some changes for us, for you, for me, for sure. What would those look like? Well, some of it would be the exact opposite of what we do in our lives. You see, this whole idea of God's ways higher than our ways really shows itself during Jesus' day. Because when he comes, his word doesn't, isn't received by everyone as rain to make things grow. Remember how he says to the Pharisees, woe to you? Remember how he speaks with them. He says, John 5, 39 and 40 are some of my favorite verses. He says to those Pharisees, you diligently study the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. All the Bible isn't about more rules to keep so that you can be good with God. All the Bible is about Jesus who kept those for you Isaiah 53, so that you might be free. But when there's no room for Jesus, then it's like rain falling, like when I first came down to Texas from Minnesota, and we lived in Bernie. And when I went to make some home visits on people, there's a lot of low areas there, and I took my van and I drove through one of the low low areas where it was probably a foot or two of water, The next one was closer to three or, you know, probably three feet. I was like, I don't think I can make that. But I went through the first one, turned around, and went back through it again to get home. I wonder how many times the the word falling is like that path. The rain falls too hard, and it just doesn't do any good because we don't have ears to hear, like those religious leaders in Jesus' day. Can I hear the good news of Jesus? And we say, eh. 
and focus again on our navel gazing? There's a little story I read recently. Just love it. It's in the book. If you got a text from me about a book I want you to check out, it's this book. And it's about um, something about In the Presence of God by Kenneth Boa. And his story goes like this. You heard the saying, it's like learning to ride a bike. After a little practice and training, bike riding is a skill that, once learned, can never be forgotten, even if you go decades without touching a bicycle. Of course, that was before the backwards brain bicycle. A couple years ago, some high-tech welders challenged Destin Sandlin, their co-worker and an actual rocket scientist, to ride a special bike they'd created. The bike was just like any other, with one alteration. The handlebars were engineered to work in the opposite way bicycles usually work. Turning the handlebars left actually pointed the bike to the right, and vice versa. In other words, to ride this bike, Destin had to steer precisely the opposite way he learned at age six. Because Destin's a rocket scientist, he could explain the complex algorithm between behind how a bike works, from the downward force on the pedals to weight shifting to the gyroscopic gyroscopic procession in the wheels. In theory, he knew how these welders had tinkered with the bike's design. And he, like most people who saw the bike at first, assumed he could figure out this trick in a few tries. As it turns out, all his engineering knowledge did no good. He just kept crashing every time he tried to ride it. Destin was determined to conquer it, though, so he committed to practice it five minutes every day. One day, after eight months of practice, he finally rode it successfully. How did it happen? One day I couldn't ride the bike, and the next day I could, he explained. It was like I could feel some kind of pathway in my brain that was now unlocked. In fact, any brain scientist will tell you that's exactly what happened. His brain had rewired, creating a new neural pathway that had finally superseded the earlier path created. His mind, through a combination of knowledge and practice, had established a new algorithm for bike riding. Interestingly, Destin's six-year-old son, who'd only been riding a bicycle for three years, was able to ride the backwards bike after just two weeks. Think on that for a minute. God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. It's not the same. We think, you mess with me, I'm going to mess with you. We think it's all about how I live. It's all about what I'm doing. You hear, I hope that you hear the gospel from me at least on a weekly basis. I hope you hear about the love of God from me continually. I hope that you're reminded that your hope is not placed in yourself, but it's on him. But how many days during the week do you not practice it? Oftentimes six, sometimes seven. How many times can we come to church and hear the message and then not keep the Sabbath day holy because we refuse to let it impact our lives? Right? What we want to do is we want to practice it. You know how to practice it? Say these words with me. I am am. a chosen, chosen. beloved, Beloved. 
forgiven, forgiven. Precious, precious child of God, in whom God's Spirit lives and works. Tell me from Scripture I'm wrong. What would happen if you, instead of practicing, I'm worthless, or I blew it, therefore I'm no good, or all these other things that lead us to our struggles? Do you know how many times people come up to me and they talk about whatever addiction they happen to be in, whatever it might be, and they've come up to me in the past, and I'm like, well, I can announce forgiveness to you, but I'm not sure how to help you in the next thing. Now I have an idea. Let's practice. Let's practice fighting whatever it is that drives you to do whatever your deed is. Are you stuck at home bored and that leads you back to that sinfulness you haven't done for a while? Are you stressed and pressured by various things which leads you to that addiction or struggle? What's happening in your life that you now can practice riding the bike where if I turn it this way, it goes that way instead of this way? What can I begin to practice? How can my thoughts stop being opposed to God's thoughts but in line with God's thoughts? Remember, God's word accomplishes, not my effort. I train by looking away from myself and my effort, which is, by golly, really hard for me and my pride. And I turn to look what God has done for me and his son, Jesus. And... Why don't, is there anything that you do in your life that you can't invite Jesus along? Hey, Jesus, let's watch this TV show together. Oh, I don't think I'm going to watch this TV show anymore. Hey, Jesus, let's have this conversation. Oh, I, I guess I don't want to talk about Pam like that anymore. Hey, Jesus, let's go on this walk together. Oh, lift my eyes from that. Hey, Jesus, let's go on the computer for a while. And let's go to a different site. Is there really anything you can't invite Jesus into? Would that be a new thought for some of us? Day by day, what, what are we practicing? If I asked you to write down your schedule for the day and what you did, what are you practicing? Are you practicing behavior like Israel in chapter 1? Are you practicing behavior like God says for Israel to do in chapter 54? Sin, rejoice with me. Delight in what your Savior has done. Even though it doesn't make sense with how we are so, are so hardwired, let's practice thinking opposite. Seeking the Lord, calling on Him, turning to Him, and forsaking our wicked ways are not just one-time events, but ongoing events with Jesus. We do this by doing what Destin did, by training. It may take a long time because we have trained the other way for so long. How many of you have trained in a bad behavior for 40 years? 50 years? 60 years? Nobody here, okay? Some have trained in bad behaviors over 60 years. Do you think you might continue to struggle with that bad behavior for a while? Do you think you and I might have some really wild expectations to get over it tomorrow? 
Not going to happen, right? So please live in God's grace for you. No need to compare. Remember, it took the rocket scientist eight months. It took his son two weeks. Can I just ask, does anybody here besides me struggle with comparison? So you're like, wow, it only took Marilyn a day to get this, and I'm still struggling, and it's been six weeks. How can she do it in a day, and I do it six weeks? And we get all caught up in that. And you know, when I'm all caught up in that, where am I not looking? To Jesus. The one who sets us free. You know, I have developed a really nasty habit, and I preach longer than I used to do. I just saw my wife look at her watch, which I don't have. So I know I'm way over time. Okay, I apologize, but I'm almost done. Jesus accomplishes what we can't do. He did everything the Father said. In Jeremiah 31, 34, this is just a really important part, and I hope you don't mind if I finish with a couple things yet. Jeremiah 31, 34, it says this, No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Knowing the Lord. In Jeremiah 9, it says this. Earlier it says, this is what the Lord says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him boast about this, that he knows and understands me. And this is so important, because if you look back at our gospel lesson for today, look at Matthew 13. Verses 18 and verse 23 says this. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, that's the one on the path, but the one who bears much fruit is the one who does understand it. Do you have people in your life who don't get it? For those people, God's got to be the one that accomplishes it, not you. We share, we pray. Are you on a regular, ongoing basis praying for God the Holy Spirit to reign on them and reign, R-E-I-G-N, in their lives? And then when God opens the opportunity for you, do you follow through? When God opens, we sow, right? Like in Matthew 13, we're like the sower. We sow, but we let God change the soil, If you think about that, if you're one kind of soil, can you change yourself? I've never known soil to fertilize itself. I've never known soil to be able to change on its own, but God changes it. So maybe part of the new way of thinking is that we live delighting in Jesus and live dependent on Jesus, praying for him to open their hearts and minds so the word might get in. And do the Word's work, accomplishing salvation by helping them know their Savior, Jesus. Does that make sense? Pray. And then when God gives you the chance, speak. And then God will get a chance to accomplish His Word through you, the one who's been living and training this whole week and month, and year. It really is about what God, the Word, is accomplishing, right? 
in us and through us. Amen.